Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know of a more appropriate song than that song for these passages of Scripture that we've been studying from Philippians chapter 4. This is all about finding the contentment, finding the joy of life, not in this earthly circumstance, but all found in Christ. Take this world, but give me Jesus. That is the picture of Philippians chapter 4, and so we turn again to this great little study that we've been doing. I want to encourage you, if you have your notes, go ahead and take those and look with me. This morning we're going to circle back up a little bit from where we've been and grab another one of the keys. Um, I thought that we'd be covering two keys, but we've decided to cover one key this morning. So there's part three here, and there will be a final one of part four in this, but there's five keys to content to contentment that the Apostle Paul shares with us um, in Philippians chapter 4. So notice with me, Philippians chapter 4, in the box on your page that is there or on the screen in front of you, look at verse 10. He says, I rejoice, you remember with me, that word rejoice or joy is used over and over and over again in the book of Philippians. And not only is it used over and over again, but it is interesting that it is contrary to the circumstances of both the writer, the Apostle Paul, as well as the circumstances of the readers or the recipients of the letter, which is the people of Philippi. Both were in trouble. Paul was in prison, and they were experiencing persecution and difficulty. So, but look at this with me in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am content. Situation I am to be content. Now look at verse 12. This is one of the main ones we want to see this morning. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. Now the passage that we looked at last Sunday, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now look at the next verse, verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. This morning's message from verse 12 and in verse 14 have a similar theme. And here is the similar theme. It is this picture that that we are not to be content with our current circumstances, but to rise above them. And people who do that are concerned about others. So it all flows together. But look with me in the outline here, the five keys contentment. Three weeks ago, we looked at a contented person is confident in God's providence. We see that he would, would write to them saying, God knew that I had needs, and God used you. I didn't know that this was coming, but God knew, and God works it out. God always takes care of his people. So a contented person understands that. A contented person is not anxious about tomorrow. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about the things in your life. If God takes care of the sparrows, if he takes care of the grass of the field, he can take care of you. And so that's part of the picture that we see here, that we are called to be confident that God knows what he's doing. Number two, a contented person is satisfied with little. 
He says, I'm not speaking of being in need. I have learned in whatever situation to be content. And even the next verse deals with that a little bit too, but we're going to see that in just a second. Look at verse th- or number three. A contented person is strengthened, not by his own strength, but by divine power. So fill that in. A contented person isn't living in their own strength. They've started to learn that God wants me to draw upon his strength and walk in his might, not according to me. In fact, look in verse 13, what it says there underneath number three. I can do all things, look what it says, through him. And I hope that you've, that you've come to really focus on that. We, what did we say about that last that last um, week, we said that this is often the most misquoted, abused passage, one of them, in the Bible. And it's because people focus on, I can do all things. I can do all things. The focus in this is not so much on, I can do all things, as it is through him who strengthens me. So a person who is truly contented is finding the power of life that comes from God. And it's for a different purpose. And that's what number four really focuses on. It's, it's not about our circumstances, but it's all about God's glory. Look at number four. A contented person, here's our message for today. Our, a contented person is independent from the circumstances of life. You see, what we mean by that is they are not dependent on the circumstances of life. They're independent from them. They are depending on a different power. They're depending on different values than the circumstances that we find ourselves in right here. Look at verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have, underline it, learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is one of the keys to contentment. One of the keys to contentment, if you really want to be satisfied in your life, if you really want to be fulfilled, if you want to be content, and, and it's more than happy. It's a deeper happiness. It can be an emotion right now. I feel um, I, like very pleasant. I feel very happy about these things. I, I, I feel joyful, but it's in my, in my present moment. This is far greater than that. This is talking about a deep contentment that can be not based upon circumstances, but based upon something so much more. And there is a secret. The world doesn't know this. The world believes that contentment and real fulfillment comes from the circumstances around us. And God's people, as we see Old Testament and New Testament, all the characters of it, we find that Our contentment is to be found in knowing God and being right with God. And when we are knowing him and right with him, there is a fulfillment that the world cannot offer. Now I want you to think about with me this phrase. Look what he says in verse 12 again. I want you to see it. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I want you to think this morning about the difficult circumstances of Paul's life. 
And I want to run through the story of his life just a little bit in part of his ministry. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul, his name first was Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church. He was going around rounding up Christians and bringing them into persecution, saying that you, this is a, that, you know, you're Jews, you're supposed to be um, abiding by the law, you're supposed to be abiding under the authority of the Jewish religious structure, and here you guys have gone after a false messiah, and uh, he was persecuting the Christians that had come and believed that Jesus was the Lord. And then the Lord, of course, revealed himself to him on a road to Damascus. And he was gloriously converted um, as he started to, re as he realized instantly by God's great work of sovereign power in his life and showing him himself that he was not to persecute those who um, are following Christ, but he is to come and love them and rejoice in them and help them and devote his life to that. And so when that started, his life of power and his life of prestige was turned very different. Look at this. At one point, and we see all of the references on the right-hand side. You can read through the book of Acts. It's like an action novel. It's amazing. Um, first of all, he escapes Damascus by being lowered in a basket over a city wall. It's so bad. You know, they had walled cities back in the day, and people's residences were even built into the wall. Um, and so there was, there was a group of Christians when Saul was being, or when Paul was being hunted within the, within the city because he had turned to Christ and now he's preaching the gospel. He had to be lowered out of a wall in a basket. He's hunted and then stoned um, and left for dead outside of Lystra. He's beaten, the word says, with many blows and thrown in prison in Philippi. Um, that was the first time he's there, and we see reference of this, that this is when those relationships began. And finally, notice this, at Thessalonica, a mob searches for him and drags out his friends and accuses them of, of treason against Caesar while he slipped out of town. Imagine how he felt about that, that Jay, the man, Pastor Jason, that was, as you know, that was one of the guys that was dragged out of his house. You know, there are, there are Christians that have friends, and when persecution comes against Christian uh, communities, sometimes there are some friends that are able to slip away, and there are others that, man, they, they stay, and they bear the brunt of the persecution. And here we see that that happened to the apostle. So it's not only about him, but it's also even about his friends. Look at the next one. He was chased from Berea to Athens, where he was mocked at Mars Hill. So he goes, what is Mars Hill? Mars Hill was a big rock outside of, of uh, the great temple areas of Athens. You know, there's temples to gods everywhere. And all the philosophers would gather in the afternoon, and they would all sit there with all of the temples around them, looking over the beautiful city of Athens. I've stood there on this big rocky hill and the philosophers would go and they would sit and talk there in Athens, Greece. And so when Paul shows up to Athens, he goes, well, let me go to the thinkers. And he goes and he begins interacting with them. And before very long, they look at him. As soon as he mentions the resurrection of Christ, they say, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. So look at these. He's running for his life. He's stoned, left for dead. He's beaten multiple times. He's having to run with his friends, from his friends. Um, as, as a mob is chasing him, and then he's mocked, he's ridiculed. Flip the page, look at the other things. 
So the, the guy who's writing to us about joy, the guy who's writing to us about joy over circumstances, he has experienced troubles in his life. That's, that's what I want you to see here. Look at in Acts 18 and verse 12, we see that he was charged at the Bema seat, the Bema seat or the Bema seat, by Jews and Greeks in Corinth. I've stood there in front of the ruins of the actual Bema seat that is there. And it was, it was a place where the Apostle Paul, not just the Jews that were chasing him around, but also the Greeks, they banded together and they're accusing him there. In Greece, he's, there's an assassination plot against him, which had happened many times, but here's one mentioned in Acts 20. So he, he leaves for Syria. And then eventually, Jerusalem, Jews from Asia Minor, he gets to Jerusalem, and these other folks that had seen him up in Asia Minor, minor um, or Turkey, they, they see him and they think, that's the Apostle Paul, or that's Paul, who used to be Saul, and they come after him there in Jerusalem. They savagely beat him. And then he's taken into custody, and he's cursed by the religious leaders of the day. Another assassination plot is discovered, and he's rescued by a Roman guard there in the temple. They were going to kill him right in the temple. And so then he's tried before the Roman governor Felix, thrown in prison. Look at this. Two years he sits in prison. Now, this isn't the only time he was in prison. It was multiple other times. And in fact, later, as we'll see, he was in prison. But he sits in prison two years. Felix finally moves on to another post. And here comes Festus. And so Festus hears, hears him. And while he's there, he says, I appeal to Caesar. And so there he is going to go from basically what we see um, outside of Jerusalem, actually over in Caesarea Tiberius and he is going to be shipped off to Rome. So on the way to Rome, he's shipwrecked, he's bit by a poisonous snake on the way to Rome, and then when he finally does get to Rome, he's held under arrest and chained to a Roman guard. Think about that life story. Think about that. And this letter is all about joy. This letter is all about true contentment. Have you experienced one of these things for the name of Christ? I know that there are people in our church who have experienced some of these things for the name of Christ. But I don't know anyone in my life that racks up this life story. I mean, the, the picture of difficulty and trial and suffering that is here. And let me tell you, the little list that I've given you just from running as a brief flyover of the book of Acts, if you, if you look at that, you know, it, goes, it, just, it clicks on through the chapters of the book of Acts, telling this, this great glorious story of the gospel going forward. You say, well, it doesn't look too glorious to me. It looks like a lot of pain and trouble. And, and folks, that's what happens in a fallen world when people follow God. They come to find the grace of God, but yet the salvation is ultimately, yes, here and now, but we see that we're living for a far greater, greater purpose and a greater day. You see, this list that I've said, that I've shown you, is not all. That's not all that happened to him. In fact, he outlines it in one of his letters. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
Uh, there were people that had come into the Corinthian church. They're false teachers. They're, they're questioning Paul's teaching. They're questioning Paul's authority. And the Apostle Paul, and, the, and they're really, they're, they're really um, criticizing the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian people. They're saying, oh, that guy Paul that came through, yeah, you don't, what you don't really know is this and that. And they're, they're making up all of these things about him. And notice what he has to do. He has to defend his faith before them so that they will continue to see that it's not about him, it's all about Christ. And that's part of what we see there. Look at what it says in verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm insane. He's saying, I can't believe I'm going to write this. I speak as if I'm crazy. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments. Look at this beaten times without number. <laughs> the Apostle Paul possibly can't even remember how many times he's been beaten. Notice this. Often in danger of what? Death. Verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Um, under Roman law, you could lash someone 40 times. They would not, in case they counted wrong, they would only do 39 because the guy doing the lashing if he went over 40, um, he could be executed for that. You're, 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 we're only allowed to do 40, and so they would do 39 just to be sure in this. But notice this, five times he received 39 lashes. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's what we mentioned in Lystra. Three journeys, three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I spent in the deep. He was out there floating around in the Mediterranean, um, hoping to survive. I mean, three different times shipwrecked. Look at verse 26. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers. So he's got to cross a river that's raging perhaps. In dangers from robbers. Back then, traveling in many of the areas was very, very dangerous. Dangers from my countrymen. That's Jewish people coming after him. Dangers from the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people coming after him. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among, look what it says, false brethren. Verse 27, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Verse 28, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. So he's saying, not only physically has this been hard, but this is spiritually and emotionally this has been hard because I see the battle that's going on in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm. I'm concerned for the churches. Verse 29, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Verse 30. If I have to boast, I will boast of what permits, of what pertains to my weaknesses. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And then look at this. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Artus, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. So there was somebody there waiting on him. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall. So escaped his hands. So over and over again, we see this life of great difficulty. You know, I, I just, I want you to see 
in this that the words that are calling us to look to the Lord and trust in the Lord are written by someone under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who experienced great hardship. And I know that many that are listening today, that are here in this room, or that are um, out on the internet, maybe listening at another time, I know that many of you have hardships that no one truly understands. I know that many of you bear burdens and loads and, and there's been things that have been done to you or there's been just internal struggles that are, that are greatly deep and, and, or maybe even physical things that, that no one really or most of the people around you really don't understand the pain that you experience. And what I think all of this can show us is that, that God's word is for each one of us in our hardships and in our difficulty. Just notice this and fill this in. The point is this, Paul had intense and constant suffering. He had intense and constant suffering. He had constant suffering in, I've noticed a few, noted a few general categories here, in hard living circumstances, in ridicule. Some of you have legal trouble. He had legal trouble. He had poverty times of having very little. He was often abandoned without friends. We'll look at that part of, part of it next week. He spent time in prison and he was abused. He was abused over and over and over again. Some of you would say, well, I can relate to some of that. Look at the next thing here. Not only did Paul have intense and constant suffering, but Paul learned the secret of rising above his circumstances through suffering. You see, the suffering actually helped him learn to look to the Lord. You see, he wasn't bitter at God because of each one of these things. He actually became better with God because he was learning and seeing by faith that there is something far greater than the circumstances of his life. Now, let's, let's just be real clear here. Paul had the ability, if he wanted to walk away from God's will for his life, Paul had the ability probably to be a very wealthy man. He not only had a tremendous drive and apparent intelligence, but he also was extremely well-educated. Listen to this. He spoke Hebrew, he spoke Greek, he spoke Latin, and he spoke Aramaic. I mean, those are three that we know of. Excuse me, four that we know of. There, I mean, it would be amazing what the Apostle Paul could do in the Roman world that he was in. But because of his encounter with Jesus Christ, because of God's call upon his life, the Apostle Paul shows that even through suffering and that the suffering that would come into his life would have the effect of causing him to believe that much more, to look that much more to the ways of God and to the rewards of God. You know, some people, when they go through suffering, they just become bitter. Other people, when they go through suffering, they, they in a general sense, they become better. And the idea is of better is greater faithfulness, greater faith in God, 
looking to God, finding that it's not in this life. Now, let's read underneath that second bullet point there. Paul learned the secret of rising above his circumstances through suffering. Now, this maybe will mean that much more to you. Look at verse 12. This is our key verse. I know how to be brought low. I mean, running for your life, that's pretty low. Having to be led down at night out of a, in a basket to escape into the dark of the night. Having, hearing the people clamoring, the mob outside, and your friend, you have to go out the back door while your friends go out the front door and embrace the mob, and you have to leave them. You see, he knew how to be sitting in prison year after year. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, that puts verse 13 in a very different light. He said, what are all things? It's, it's learning to be faithful with suffering, and it's learning to be faithful with much ease and maybe even wealth. The Apostle Paul is saying, I've learned to do both. I've learned to abound, and I've learned to suffer. And it's all through Jesus Christ. And here's the key thing. This is the the little box that is there. The primary secret, the primary key to contentment is, fill it in, Christ in me. It's not you doing it. It's learning to allow God to live through me. Put out there to the side, John 15. Jesus, in his teaching, says to us, you can do nothing without me. He says, you remain connected to the, I am the vine, you are the branches, you remain connected to me, because without me, you can do nothing. Paul is saying, but with him, we can do everything, including remain faithful to him after much suffering. Now, we see, I, I just, this, this morning, I want you to see the massive encouragement of how one of the things that God used in helping Paul with this. The Apostle Paul, fill this in, maintained an eternal perspective that kept him going. You see, he wasn't looking at the perspective of here and now. That could have defeated him. But the Apostle Paul maintained an eternal perspective that kept him going. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Look what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, look what he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now think about that. He's saying you can't look at the things on the earth. It's too hard. It's too difficult. He had a lot of things to look at and stare at that would have caused him to be, to be discouraged. But listen to this. His secret was continuing to remember the promises that God has made about the future. Continuing to remember who Christ is and what Christ has done. He's setting his mind on things above. He's not setting his mind on prison. He's not setting his mind on the next city is going to maybe beat me. 
or maybe chase me, or maybe ridicule me, or I'm going to get in a big legal fight. Or I mean, He's not setting his mind on the things that are here. He's setting his mind on the things that are above. And the things that are above motivated him to endure anything that was here. So an eternal perspective can help you and can help me make it through great difficulty. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Look what he says here. He's saying to the Corinthian people, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. <laughs> Look at verse 17. It's astounding. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we not as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient that means they're going away but the things that are unseen are eternal you see Remembering the truth of who God is, remembering the truth of what God has done to save us from our sins, remembering the truth of all of the promises that God has made to us, all of those things are, can, are what make suffering worth it. Now, one of the key things that you don't want to do is suffer um, for the things of this world. I mean, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but when we suffer, we would hope that if we do endure suffering, then it's for the things that are after this world, the things that are of God, the things that really matter, that are really worth it. So I just want you to be encouraged this morning, church family, that as we endure suffering, and whether it's personal or even whether it's maybe as a church, corporate, I mean, our society is making some pretty major changes. There's some pretty big um, balances that are shifting as far as what is right and what is wrong and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, what's respectable and what's not respectable. And the things of God are becoming more and more rejected by the world that's around us, um, very much like in the Apostle Paul's day, um, whether by the Greeks mocked or whether by um, the religious establishment rejected and seeking to squelch. Listen, as difficulty comes in your life, whether personal or whether corporate as a church, if we will keep our eyes on Christ and recognize the eternal weight of glory that, wait, that waits upon us, that, that is to come, we can be motivated to endure anything that the world sends to us. And so let's just make our sufferings not because of our of our, of our own sinfulness. Let's make sure our suffering is not because of our own lack of wisdom. Let's make sure that our suffering is resulting from perhaps being faithful to God and resting in Him. Two key questions for you as we end right now. I want you to think about these. Is your mind and heart content amidst suffering? Is your mind and your heart content amidst suffering? Now, I want you to think about times that you've suffered in your life. You say, well, I look at the list of the Apostle Paul and I haven't suffered. 
And, and I kind of feel that way in some ways. In one sense, I feel like, well, I've never suffered. I mean, maybe for, for some of you, not one of those things has happened with me. And I understand, but I, I just want you to know, we live in a fallen world, so we all suffer. We, we all have difficulty. I mean, there are disappointments in our life that bring stress to us and hardship to us. Um, if you're married, um, being two, when two sinners come together to be one, they're, 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 I'm sorry, as wonderful as Marcy is and as wonderful as I am, sweetheart, um, you know, we're both going to suffer because we're both sinners and there's going to be hardship there. But whether it's just suffering from being in a fallen world or whether it's suffering for the name of Christ, we all suffer. But what do we do with that suffering? Have we learned to look to Christ in the midst of our suffering? That is a key question for you. Is your mind and your heart content amidst suffering? In the Perhaps the disappointment with a relationship that is broken. Perhaps um, a family situation that's really, really hard. Or, or perhaps a financial letdown or, or a health concern. When we go into this, does the suffering cause us to blame God? Or does the suffering actually draw us near to God? Well... Is your mind and your heart content amidst suffering? Then the next question is this. Do you have the presence and power of Christ in you? Because that is how you can rejoice even in the midst of suffering. It's through Christ. Christ being in you. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. It's Christ in you that gives you the strength to do all things, including be shackled to a Roman soldier, writing a letter of encouragement to friends that live many, many miles away. Or maybe it's through a great hardship that you endure now, that you look to Christ and you say, Lord, let me see your promises in my life. Christ, let me have the power and the strength. Lord, give me your presence to know that in the midst of my chemo or in the midst of my broken heart over this or over that, that you are with me in this. You see, here's part of the problem. If all we have is blessing after blessing after blessing, we will often never look to God. It is often the suffering in our life that causes us to look beyond ourselves. It is the suffering in our life that causes us to look up to God. I mean, I, I can say that with, with people so often that, that have dealt with addictions. As long as you think you can do it in yourself, you can't. And, and there, there's this picture that, that you, you have to look beyond yourself. Even, even those who don't claim the name of Christ, very often there's thousands, millions of people around the world that even in that state, they start to say, this is, this is beyond me. I can't do this. Who is that higher power? Oh, it's the glory of Christ. It's the glory of God who gives the strength to us 
to do what we cannot do within ourselves, to find the contentment that only God can give us. So my question is, do you have the power and the presence of Christ in you? If you do, you can say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned to be content in every circumstance. When things are going my way and when they're not. When I have much and when I seem to have nothing, I've learned that my contentment is not in my circumstances, but it's in a person. It's in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for so often we look to the world for our contentment, our fulfillment. Lord, our happiness. Often we look to the house that we live in or the paycheck that we get or the retirement fund that we're working on or maybe even things that are very sweet like our family or our children. And yet all these things can disappoint us. Lord, we need to look to you and only to you. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would be a people who learn what the Apostle Paul has learned. That I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can face the consequences even of my own mistakes and my sin if Christ is with me. I can face the consequences and the difficulties that come from the sins of others. Impede the ease of my life. Lord, I can even go through that if you are with me. Lord, I thank you that we see this even in the life of, of David, the king of the Old Testament that went through many times that were blessing and many times that were hard. And he said, Lord, your presence is what keeps me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Lord, I thank you for the promises that you prepare for us a banquet. You prepare for us a great feast. You prepare for us a great promised day of being with you in eternity. And Father, I pray that eternity would cause us to be fueled to go on even through the difficulties of this life. So Lord, lift up our eyes for those who are really struggling with various things this morning. I, I pray that this would help them I pray that your word would speak to them and cause them to lift up their eyes to the one who brings salvation and that they would find the great fulfillment and the joy of experiencing the promiser of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Pastor Lucas.